Hello, and welcome back to the Baseball Trade Values Podcast. My name is Joshua Iverson, and I am the Associate Editor of BaseballTradeValues.com, joined, as always, by founder and owner John Bitzer. John, we're a couple days away from June. How you doing? Doing okay. You know, the, the um, I'm enjoying a lot of great baseball. Uh, I share the Javi Baez video with my baseball playing Little League sons and use that as a teaching moment for a variety <laughs> of reasons. That was fun. <laughs> so I'm enjoying baseball now. <laughs> so did you tell them you're supposed to do things like what the guy wearing blue did? Yeah, and right. Don't do things like the guy... I, what color unis were they wearing? Black uh, or yellow? Whatever. The guy in black yellow. and yellow, he, yeah. he screwed up. <laughs> no, and multiple guys in black and yellow screwed up. Let me tell you. <clears throat> I have a... This probably isn't so unique, but I have a pretty diverse uh, group of friends through school. I did I did marching band in college, so there's a large group of my friends that have nothing to do with baseball, nothing to do with sports. And I always love it when something like that happens that kind of breaks the sports mold. And I've got non-sports friends texting me about it like, oh, my God, did you see this? I'm like, yep, I've watched it like 15 times today. I can't <laughs> stop watching it. Uh, but it's good to know that you found it interesting, too, as somebody who watches maybe one or two baseball games a year. Yeah. Um, the, kind of, the kind of play that just breaks sports <laughs> and has everyone talking about baseball for some good reasons, some bad reasons. <laughs> I do feel bad for Will Craig, though gotta say yeah. yeah he's not feeling good today <clears throat> apparently they're having the poor guy on a press conference uh, later this afternoon um friday afternoon this will probably go up this episode will go up on saturday so we'll already have seen how that went but uh <laughs> wishing him the best i don't know if he's yeah. gonna have any big explanation for why he did what he did or if he's just gonna go up there and say yeah i'm uh i'm a rookie i screwed up it happens <laughs> brain fart okay yeah. got it <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we got a lot to cover today. Uh, there's been a lot of a lot of decent-sized moves, a lot of medium moves, a lot of small moves. We're going to just fly through some of the smaller ones. But uh, we do have one big one we got to lead off the show with here. And it's it's I, I'd say it's the biggest trade we've had so far uh, since the start of the season. And that's the Brewers acquiring Willie Adamas from the Tampa Bay Rays. So the trade here was shortstop Willie Adamas, who we had at 26.0 in uh, median trade value and right-handed pitcher trevor richards who had it 0.5 million uh, headed to the brewers from the rays in exchange for two relievers right-handed pitchers drew rasmussen at four and a half million and jp fire eisen at 1.9 million and so on on paper the values there are nowhere near each other <laughs> that yeah. there's a huge gap there uh but there's a lot of factors that can explain that and i'll let you go a little bit deeper into those in a second uh, but first, really quick, just kind of the fit here. Um, uh, we've, we've known that the Rays are pretty crowded in the middle infield. Uh, they have Wander Franco, who they still have not yet called up even after this move, but he's looming. He's, he's threatening down in AAA, just killing the ball down there. Um, it seems like his defensive home is a little bit more questionable, and so that's that might be part of why he's still down there. They're probably waiting for Super 2 as well, which is coming up in a week or two, I'm thinking. Um so he's obviously the big one there, but uh, in the immediate wake of this trade, they called up Taylor Walls, who's 25-26, and they really like his glove at shortstop. They like his future. They have Vidal Brujan, who's been more of a speed guy and also doesn't necessarily have a set position, but he's been hitting a ton of homers in AAA this year. So they just got this whole glut of middle infielders, and that's not even counting the guys already on their roster. Uh, who were really knocking down the door here, and Adamas was blocking them. Adamas is a sure glove, but wasn't really hitting for the Rays this year. Hit a lot for them last year, but it was pretty BABIP-oriented, BABIP-driven. 
Uh, so he was pretty extra for them, and there was a lot of talks of them potentially trading him last offseason. Uh, the Reds were one of the teams that was most connected to him, just given their shortstop issue <laughs> that culminated in them starting a Eugenio Suarez at the position. Uh, but that didn't happen, clearly. Instead, he heads to the Brewers, who have had their own shortstop disaster. Uh, they traded Orlando Arcia about a month ago to the Braves, and in his absence, they've been using Luis Urias, who is a, a friend of the show, I guess you could say. <laughs> um, he was the centerpiece of that big Trent Grisham trade a couple of years back, and he hasn't really put it together for the Brewers. His defense has been awful at shortstop this season. The bat hasn't been good enough to make up for it. And so they decided it was time for an upgrade. It cost them two pretty solid relievers, and J.P. Fireisen and Drew Rasmussen, who were both in the midst of pretty good seasons. Rasmussen's seen as more of a prospect than Fireisen, but uh, both performing pretty well. And so I'll let you get into the... Uh, kind of the value gap between these two sides here and kind of explaining what might have happened there and how it's actually a little bit closer than it might look. Yeah. So <clears throat> for players. Okay. So first of all, straight up, you know, we're off on this one, right? So that was a big miss on our part. On the other hand, maybe not. Um, if you look at, so, so we have two ways of value. We, as we explained on our site, there's the major valuing major leaguers and valuing minor leaguers for players who are sort of in transition between those two, like less than two years of service time. We blend those two. If you just look at the major league side, Fireisen is worth about seven and Rasmussen is worth about 24, I thought. So that's <clears throat> just, if you just look at that side, in other words, if they perform to their expectations, on major league projections, they will easily surpass Adamus's value. Um, but we're taking a conservative approach and blending them with their prospect values, which are lower, which take into account the risk of bust, basically. Like they may or may not work out. The Rays seem to like to do this. They like to jump the gun on valuation and say, oh, that's okay. We know we have a system, we develop pitchers well. I think they're gonna hit their marks. So you can look at it that way and say, yeah, it's an even trade from that point of view. Obviously, they've done this before, acquiring Nick Anderson. They gave up a top 100 prospect in Joe Jesus Sanchez for that, um, and that worked out. They traded Nick Solak, another middle infielder that they didn't have room for at the time, <clears throat> you know, and, and they, for uh, Pete Fairbanks, another sort of reliever with, with good stuff. So they target relievers with good stuff. They have a sense of confidence that they're going to work out in their system and be valuable for a couple of years. Obviously, these guys are pre-arb as well, so they take advantage of the cost situation, you know, where they get them basically for league minimum salary for a couple of years, and they and they groom them and they and they uh, you know they basically get the most out of them for a couple of years. So from that point of view, it makes sense. We're looking at things from a neutral point of view. We can't adjust our model for just the raise who have a tendency to do this, right? We're just hitting it down the middle. And if anybody else had traded for Fire Horizon and Rasmussen, they probably would have, you know, given up less. Then there's the factor of, as you pointed out, Adamus was obviously sort of didn't have a home. You know, he was he was an obvious trade candidate for, for a while now. Um, and there's the fact that, like the Padres, the Rays have so much prospect capital, it's burning a hole in their pocket. And every other GM knows this. So they can't necessarily get full value for the guys because they need to keep churning that roster and 
everyone else knows this and 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 the smart ones are taking advantage of this so you could give david stearns of the brewers credit for that for taking advantage of that so you can look at it in a number of ways <clears throat> so hitting it straight down the middle based on our model it's a miss but if you look at it from those other angles it's not and i would add one other point which is in addition to kind of the the burning the hole in the pocket point um you know, the Rays are aware that in order to get the guys they want, they may have to overpay. Like, they like in their, they have a reputation for winning so many trades. I'm going to put that in smart quotes. Uh, like the Rose Arena trade, for example, one could say, like, oh, my God, and there's a reputation now. And there's there's like, oh, don't ever trade with the Rays. They're going to milk it, you know. So so they can't necessarily do that because then they would have no one to trade with, right? So in, a, in effect, they have to overcompensate for that. By saying, okay, you can have Adamas, just give us two relievers, and and you can, you know, like no one would return their call if they were milking everybody. And at some point, that would they'd run out of trade partners. So you could look at it that way. I think that's a little bit of a stretch, but I just wanted to make the point anyway as a possible consideration. So for a lot of reasons, I think you can justify it. Yeah, yeah, that th- that might have a tiny influence there, and I don't I don't think you're implying that it is any sort of big deal there, but I mean, right, right. They they joke about that uh, with the media, some other GMs and uh, ranking officials joke about like, oh, we're we're not trading with those guys. They always they always come out on top. But teams trade with everyone. I always hate when people talk about, uh, you know, oh, they wouldn't make that trade. They wouldn't trade with someone in their division. Like it's at this point everyone trades with everyone i mean yeah there's a yeah. couple weird ones where the yankees and red Sox don't trade often but they still do sometimes ace and giants haven't had a big trade in 20 or 30 years i think it was mm-hmm. um but but that's even probably more just chance at least the last five or ten years of it is more just kind of noise more just chance than it is like a refusal to trade with someone over some principle yeah and from time to time you might see instance pop up where that comes but i think in general Everyone knows that the the system works best if everyone is freely available to trade with anyone. And, and maybe you just have a little bit of hesitation with a team like the Rays, a team like the Dodgers, and you say, why are you asking for these guys? What am I missing here? I don't mm-hmm. want to get screwed. I'm either going to hang on to this guy for another week and see what you're talking about here, or I'm going <clears> to <throat> ask for a little bit more from you guys just to make sure I don't totally get burned on this. So I think that's... And I, I think that's what you were saying. I'm just kind of <laughs> rephrasing it a little bit. Yeah. Um, yeah. I one, do think uh, my first point is probably the strongest one, which is they are jumping the gun on the valuation. They have a sense of confidence. They get the most mm-hmm. out of Fire Eisen and and um, and, uh, and Rasmussen. Yeah, there's, there's a clear pattern here. I don't yeah. think anybody <laughs> predicted the Rays would trade Jesus Sanchez and some other pieces, I'm pretty sure, mm-hmm. um, for... Uh, Nick Anderson and Trevor Richards was in that trade as well. Yeah, huh? Ryan Stanek was the other piece. Go yes, that yes. Yeah. And Ryan Stanek was one of their most used relievers at the time, right. and they were contending, and it was it was weird. But and I don't think anyone saw that coming. But it seems to have worked out. I mean, Anderson's hurt now, and Jesus Sanchez is tearing the cover off the ball in Triple A. Uh, but it it doesn't seem like the Rays got hosed or anything. And and when Anderson yeah. has been on the field, he's been one of the best relievers in baseball. So <clears throat> yeah, and we they, had him in they... the as he matured, his his value shot up to like the twenties, right? So mm-hmm. they could see that they probably graph it on a whiteboard or on Excel spreadsheet. Said, look, Fire Rising is going to go up, Rasmussen's going to go up. It's worth it, I, I, you know, because mm-hmm. we can see that too. <clears throat> and, and just a bit of a of an explainer, a brief explainer on why we blend the values like that. Uh, you think about some of these guys traditionally as like September call-up types, you know, the the longtime minor leaguers who 
are kind of quad A type players and they have this breakout season and then they finally burst onto the roster because of injuries or whatever. I'm thinking a guy like Nick Martini a couple seasons ago with the A's where he had a great minor league season. They called him up. He was great for them down the stretch run. He was hitting like 290, OBP near 400. Not hitting for a lot of power, but a pretty productive end of the season. I think he might have even let off in a wild card game or something yeah, like that that year. Um, but if we if we just took that production at face value, even though this guy was 27, 28 years old and had no real track record, his numbers would have been through the roof because oh look at all this production that he's had, and not necessarily through the roof. We're not talking <laughs> we're not talking Mike Trout levels, but his numbers his value would have been fairly high mm-hmm. just based on that production and what typical projection systems would see from his future production based on that 400 OBP in 60 games or whatever. But we don't want that because in reality, teams aren't valuing Nick Martini as a guy who's going to post a 400 OBP going forward. They're valuing him as the career quad A player who had one hot burst and we need to see more before we can really put too much stock into that. So that applies for everybody. That applies for the top prospect who comes up to the big leagues and sucks for two months. A guy like Joe Adele, where, yeah, it's going to lower his stock a little bit, but he's still Joe Adele. He's still got the prospect pedigree. We still need to bake that into his value because nobody's expecting Joe Adele to continue to hit 150 for the rest of his career. Exactly. That's not who he is. And so this is just kind of our system, the blend, the blend of their prospect value with their major league value. Uh, that's kind of our system to solve that problem, and it's it's not a perfect system as you can kind of see here, but also as as you were mentioning, it, it seems like the Rays are more willing to jump the gun, and maybe they have to be just given their financial constraints. Maybe they have to be a bit more aggressive on guys before they're truly established at the major league level, especially in the bullpen, I would say. Yeah. Um, and, and kind of <clears throat> jump on it and say, hey, the stuff is there, and the results are there we think this guy could be really good. Let's go get him. Even if we're, we're paying a little bit more than market rate for him. Yeah, exactly. And then one more point about the, the blending, we do prorate that. So if they've got, you know, a month, you know, basically it's, it's, you know, over a two year span, that's not going to matter much, but a year it's basically 50, 50. And it's, you'll start to see those things change over time based on that. So, Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, for the most part, we think that's reasonable, you know, um, to your Nick Martini point, you know, he wasn't going to be, a 400 OPB guy. He was then, you know, a year later DFA'd. He's bounced around the waiver wire quite a bit since then. He's basically a quad A guy, so that turned out to be right. That happens time and time again. Remember when Aristides Aquino suddenly got hot two years ago in August? We thought, oh no, if you if you you know if you spec that out, it you know he, his his value would have gone through the roof. But we kept a lid on it because we could see that it was just it was probably a hot streak, and it turned out to be right. So uh, so many cases like that. Where you sort of guard against flash in the pan kind of, you know, uh, Akil Badu this year started off like gangbusters and then he's regressed as well. So we've tried to keep a lid on it for that reason. <clears throat> and then that, <laughs> to me, makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Um, so as kind of the aftermath of this deal, and I don't want to say aftermath specifically because some of these moves actually did all of these moves okay just kidding all of these other moves happened before this trade but (laughs) just kind of go into the general idea of the constant churn on the raised roster we have five more moves to talk about (laughs) that they were involved with in the last two weeks um some some larger than others another none of them quite as large as the adamas deal so let's just kind of breeze through these a little bit um first of all let's talk about hunter strickland uh the Rays traded the right-handed reliever to the angels and we have strickland at Exactly negative 1.0 in median trade value. Um, 
so this one's pretty easy. Uh, uh, Tampa Bay receives cash considerations or a player to be named later in return. And this one's pretty easy. The Rays had a pretty crowded roster, pretty crowded bullpen. Strickland was performing, but not... <sighs> He's not the kind of guy that you necessarily trust to be much more than a middle relief arm at this point in his career. He doesn't have great command. He's not throwing as hard as he used to. He's not He's not the name he used to be. He's had some injury issues. He's had uh, he some, was just, some clubhouse issues as well, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and he was originally on a minor league deal with the Rays anyway and just pitched a few innings for them. Fairly decent and... They decided we don't have enough room for him. The Angels decided they needed all the bullpen help they could get, and so that makes that trade happen. Do you have anything to really <laughs> add there? Nope, that's, that's it. It's very simple. All right. Uh, from there, we're going to head into a bit more of an interesting one. So the Dodgers acquired Yoshi Sutsugo from the Rays. Uh, the Rays DFA'd Sutsugo a couple of days prior to this deal, and Sutsugo was a big international signing for them. Not... I say big in air quotes there. Big for the Rays. It was a two-year, $12 million deal, which is pretty significant for them to commit to somebody who hasn't played at the major league level yet. Uh, but he was, a, he was a star in Japan, and so they decided to take a chance on him. Um, kind of a corner infield, corner outfield slugger, and it really hasn't worked out. Um, he's He's been kind of a disaster this season. He wasn't any good last season either. And so he hits the DFA wire um, and... and Almost immediately, the Dodgers jump on him. So it looks like, yeah, Tampa Bay will be covering about five million of his five and a half million left on his salary for 2021. So the Dodgers are just uh, covering the prorated league minimum, uh, which which makes sense. He was fairly negative in value there. Um, the Dodgers have had some injuries, uh, notably Edwin Rio, Ed, excuse me, Edwin Rios, who kind of fits that similar role to Sutsugo of the lefty slugger off the bench. Uh, corner infield, corner outfield. And so Sutsugo will slide into that role. Um, knowing the Dodgers, he'll be a three-win player in like three or four months probably. Uh, <laughs> along <laughs> along with Albert Pujols. Um, <laughs> I don't think we need to get too deeply into Albert Pujols. That was just weird. Uh, but yeah, so there's, <laughs> there's Yoshi yeah. Sutsugo. We have him at uh, 1.0 in median trade value, but that's using his new uh, salary figure. Yeah, so he was like basically at minus four and the the Rays covered about five, and so they're getting a PTNO back with about one. So it worked mm-hmm. out perfectly with their model. Mm-hmm. And then uh, next up is the Rays acquiring Wyatt Matheson from the D-backs. Uh, just another utility type. Very <laughs> kind of expected here. You replace a, a utility player making $5 million with a utility player on the league minimum. I know the Rays are covering Sutsugo's salary, but very raised to pick up a guy like Matheson. He hasn't done much at the big league level either, but he's played a lot of positions and he's got decent numbers in the minor leagues, at least decent on base skill. So it's just yeah. another one of those types that the Rays like. It's just optionable depth, basically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then the Braves acquired Kevin Smith, catcher from the Rays in exchange for cash. <laughs> um, and as, as part of this deal, so long, dear friend, Jeff Mathis, DFA'd. Uh, he did He did end up uh, accepting an assignment uh, in AAA with the Braves, so maybe we'll see him again later in the year. Uh, but again, Why? just kind of catching glut. <laughs> the Rays moving some of their roster here. Kevin Smith, not a big name in any regard. We have him at zero in surplus value. Yeah, so I'm sure the cash they got back was very nominal. Mm-hmm. And then last Rays move, I promise. <laughs> The Pirates traded Sean Poppin to the Rays in exchange for cash. 
pop in a right-handed reliever. Uh, we have him also at zero in trade value. Um, do you do you see anything here? I don't. I don't. <laughs> okay. He's a my, he's a very minor arm, so they got it. Yeah. They got a couple bucks for him. Okay, great. But again, like I said with the Dodgers, he'll be. He'll be opening games for them in October. <laughs> okay, now we can talk about the rest of the league, finally. <laughs> nothing nothing super interesting the rest of the way here. We got maybe one or two of these that are, that are worth talking about. But let's just fly through them real quick. The Mets acquired Cameron Mabin. The Mets have been a mess. Yeah. Uh, they are, their entire lineup, essentially, is on the injured list, and that's really not much of an exaggeration there. Um, so they were kind of frantically looking for depth at every position, and they picked up Cameron Mabin, and they paid exactly $1 <laughs> for him. $1 to the Cubs in exchange for one Cameron Mabin. Yep. I'd say that's a fair deal. We had Mabin at zero, and they paid a buck for him. So, <laughs> so you're saying they overpaid. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I am. That could have been a dime. <laughs> <laughs> Full disclosure, I don't think we go to enough decimal points no. uh, to, to say for certain. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, right. I, I, I don't think they're going to be crying over that dollar anytime soon. Yeah. Unless unless that dollar goes into double A and starts raking and turns into a couple million or something. I don't know. <laughs> um, another Mets move related. They picked up outfielder Billy McKinney from the Brewers. McKinney was DFA'd, I believe. Yeah, uh, by the Brewers. And... He's a little bit more interesting than uh, some of these other names we fit on here. We have him at .6 million in surplus value, so not a ton, but at least something. Um, lefty bat, known in the minors for some OBP skills, but hasn't really brought him to the majors yet. He's only 26, which is pretty impressive. Or mm-hmm. Not impressive, excuse me, pretty unexpected. It seems like he's been around for a while. Um, and that was, was that, what was that in exchange for? Oh, uh, in exchange for minor league lefty Pedro Quintana. Yeah. So... Again, very, very minor deal there, uh, but the Mets really needed all the help they could get. I'm pretty sure they pretty much immediately stuck McKinney in their lineup. He was batting, like, cleanup or something the next day. Yeah. Good luck, yeah. Mets. <clears throat> yeah, exactly. They are an infirmary. They are a mess. Everybody on the <laughs> as you said. They need warm bodies. You know, that's weird, though, because I always, I always thought the Mets were, like, good at playing, keeping their players healthy, you know? You know that it's that just, was the impression that I had. It Well, it's also, like, you know, everybody – well, I shouldn't say everybody, but smart GMs – you know, planned for depth, but they didn't expect this level of, of injury to, to this degree. Um, you know, so it was reported a couple of days ago that uh, Mets GM Jack Scott was on the phone with everybody he could trying to get another outfielder. McKinney had been DFA'd. He at least had a little bit of pedigree. He was a former first round draft pick out of high school. So that's why he's only 26, but it seems like he's been around forever. Um, and he's still, I think he still has an option left so they can still kind of use him as depth if they need to when the other guys come back. Um, and, you know, there's a little bit of something there. So I you know, that one made the most sense if you look at the guys that were available in DFA. You know, and, and but it also pointed out, like, most um, of the sort of higher quality names are not available at this point because it's still too early. So even though you may be scrambling around trying to get somebody from another team, they're like, no, we're not ready yet because they don't know if they're buyers or sellers yet for the most part because we haven't quite completed enough of the season yet to make that totally clear. As the season goes on, hopefully that'll become clearer and you'll see more names become available. But at the moment, this is kind of, it's a limited pool to choose from. Yeah. I have a question. Before the last week or two, had you ever heard of somebody named John Eshwi Fargus? I had not. <laughs> I so didn't I even had, know how to pronounce that. <laughs> I had heard of him, I think, from Out of the Park Baseball like 
three or four years ago, and huh. I saw his name pop up, and I was like, wait a second, that is a real person? I didn't make that up, like, in a dream or something? Like, what is happening? And he made a really good catch the other day, but now he's on the injured list, too, because Mets. <laughs> so. and he banged into the wall and yeah. hurt himself. Yeah, I mean, good for him yeah. for trying, but, whoa, boy, that's too bad. <laughs> it's not like he's the kind of guy that, uh, that they're going to miss too deeply. I think it's a pretty lateral move from him to Cameron Maben or Billy McKinney. But yeah. wishing wishing the best in recovery for the entire Mets offense, as well as uh, Noah Syndergaard, who's been shut down another six weeks. So good luck, uh, Mets. Can I just touch on that? There's yes. something interesting about that. So, so um, according to reports I read, Syndergaard is probably not going to be available till after the after July, basically August, because he's got to take, you know, he's going to be shut down for about six weeks or so, and then he's got to ramp up back again. By the time all that happens, it's going to be August. So anybody thinking, okay, we could trade for Noah Syndergaard is probably that's not going to happen anymore because he won't even yeah. be ready by the deadline. So you could theoretically trade for him now, but the Mets aren't going to because obviously they're still contending. So. We had we still do have a trade value. It's it's tanked dramatically because there's not much left. But should you want to trade for him, there's a little bit of value in August, September, and and potentially the draft pick if the QO him. So the um, my point is, it's totally theoretical. He's not getting traded because he's not going to be ready till yeah. August. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that 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 makes sense. <clears throat> yeah. There are a couple other injuries we'll touch on at the end here, but let's just quickly finish out with the deals here. Uh, the Royals acquired Domingo Tapia from the Mariners. Big news there. Tapia at 0.1 million in trade value uh, in exchange for cash considerations. Nothing to talk about there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> slightly larger deal. The Braves acquired reliever Yoan Lopez from the D-backs. Uh, we had Lopez at negative 0.2 million in median trade value. And in exchange, the D-backs received outfield prospect Davey Estrada at 0.1 million. Uh, Lopez was DFA'd earlier in the week uh, by Arizona, and he really was he was pretty solid for them back in uh, 2019. That was his first full season, and he was one of their more reliable relief arms, but it came with pretty ugly peripherals, a pretty high FIP, pretty high XFIP, pretty bad strikeout and walk numbers. And since then, his statistics have normalized to match those peripherals, and he's been pretty atrocious. But yeah. he's at least a depth arm. And the Braves bullpen has been a little bit messy, so eh, who knows? Yeah, you could still maybe make a case. There's a, still a twinge of upside there. I mean, they the Braves. I mean, the Diamondbacks had paid a lot for him when he first and they first got him out of Cuba, like six or seven million, I want to say. Um, so there was something there, um, but he hasn't found it yet. Maybe the Braves can coax it out of him. We'll see. Yeah, he throws hard. <laughs> he has. Apparent, according to MLB trade rumors, he has all three minor league options left. That's oh, that too. Yeah. interesting, and that's yeah. <laughs> probably a big factor there. And then just quickly, the return there for the D-backs is a 20-year-old outfielder who hasn't made it to affiliated ball, or uh, excuse me, he hasn't made it stateside yet. He's been in the Dominican Summer League, and that's about it. It's a lottery ticket. Uh, yeah, he's more walks than strikeouts, not much power at all, but... You never know with guys like that. You always have one or two of those guys that get traded for nothing. The the Jordan Alvarez types that <laughs> end up making it big a few years down the road. So yeah. we'll have to see. Right. Mm -hmm. And then one last footnote I wanted to get to here on a player we discussed last episode. Good friend Jacob Nottingham. That's which team he's back on. He's back on the Mariners. <laughs> oh, <laughs> the poor guy. I'm pretty sure he homered in his first game back with uh, the Brewers. And they decided, nope, that's still not good enough for him. They cut him again. 
the Mariners picked him up again, and uh, I'm hoping this time next week, or this time two weeks from now, we'll be discussing his career as a <laughs> going forward as a brewer, or as so, a brewer and then a Mariner, or then whatever <clears throat> the case. I'm hoping he has an apartment in Seattle and Milwaukee, because he's <laughs> just going back and forth, right? Or at least like a friend he can yeah, live right. from it with for the, for the few nights he's going to be there before he's DFA'd again. <laughs> Yeah, but you know, I don't know how we did it in spring training. It was probably easier then, but now it's like, oh, I got to cross the country again. <laughs> yeah, at least uh, at least Milwaukee and Seattle are both in they yeah, both yeah. have their spring training in Arizona, so that's right. not not too bad. Um, and then, like I said, I just want to touch on a couple injury updates really quick. This is far from all of them, but these are just a couple with uh, what I believe to be the largest trade implications here. Um, or at least value implications. So Corey Kluber's going to miss at least eight weeks. I believe that's a shoulder issue. And this was really baked into his value preseason. This was baked into a lot of our concerns about the Yankees' rotation going into the season, acquiring guys like Kluber and Tyone and counting on guys like Herman and yeah. if Luis Severino ever makes it back. Um, but this is just... not Not to say that this is... No, I guess yeah. This is somewhat expected. <laughs> not not to say that it was exactly expected, but it's it was expected that Cooper would miss some time with an injury. You can't really expect a guy to jump from one start to thirty-two. Um, yeah. So a bummer, right. and it and it hurts his value even further. But it is a one-year deal. No such thing as a bad one-year deal. So. Yeah, and I mean, right now we have him at minus zero point six, so we think his field value is around six six point seven. He's still at seven point three. So, in other words, we to your point, we had kind of baked that in, and when when this happened, mm-hmm. we adjusted a little bit, but he's still pretty much on course for what we figured. Mm-hmm. And again, another guy who probably wouldn't be getting traded anyway, but just uh, just kind of checking our own work here and seeing that yeah, we were a little bit validated there. And then speaking of injury concerns, Nick Senzel is going to be having knee surgery, and <sighs> he's just been. He, has he made it through a full season in like the last so. five years? <clears throat> I don't think so. Poor, poor yeah. guy. So he's 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 a guy where his prospect value is quickly wearing off. Um, mm-hmm. As we mentioned, the more he plays at the big league level, the farther he gets away from being ranked as a top prospect, the less of that value is baked into his total value, and so. He's, but he's, but at the same time, there he's losing that prospect value. But he can't stay on the field, so he can't really start yeah. developing major league value. And when he has, he hasn't been fantastic. So a rough yeah. situation there. His value continues to crater. Um, he was seen as a centerpiece in a lot of deals, kind of back when we started the site. Uh, there were a lot of big deals that had Senzel in them, and now he's not quite in that category anymore. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think he played just well enough to say, yeah, he could be a regular didn't convince anybody that'd be a superstar or anything so mm-hmm. you know regular you know would be somebody around you know in the low 20s or something which is about where he is now uh, but with mm-hmm. the injury concern that's going to continue to be something we watch mm-hmm. <clears throat> is there anyone else you wanted to touch on i think you got it okay there's our news for this episode uh we're making better time than we usually do knock on wood <clears throat> let's jump into the trade of the week so this one i like this one a lot this is between the pirates and the yankees um, I'm realizing now that I did not click on these names, so I do not know the first names of any of these prospects, so I am stalling for time real quick right here. Uh, so this trade was proposed by user MRJ23, so thank you very much for the submission here. Like I said, Pirates and Yankees. The Pirates have 17 thumbs up to 8 thumbs down. Yankees have 19 up to 4 down. The Yankees would be acquiring center fielder Brian Reynolds who is 26, he has $17.9 million in median trade value, 
in exchange, the Pirates are receiving a prospect package, a pretty solid prospect package, of outfielder Kevin Alcantara at 11.9 million trade value, infielder Anthony Volpe at 9.3 million, and left-handed pitcher Ken Waldachuk at 0.7 million. And so the way that shakes out is 11.9, or excuse me, 17.9 heading to the Yankees, 21.9 headed to the Pirates, and the justification there. Uh, left in the comments by MRJ23, is that Tyone to the Yankees, that trade using it as kind of a blueprint, where they overpaid by about $5 million in trade value, and so this has the Yankees, again, slightly overpaying, uh, but not to the point where it's ridiculous, not to the point where it's hurting them too significantly. So mm-hmm. they don't move any of their top, top-tier prospects. They continue to kind of move from that glut in the middle with guys like Alcantara and Volpe, and then kind of a throw-in in Waldachuk. And in exchange, they get some much-needed uh, outfield depth, much-needed starting center fielder there. Uh, they've just lost Hicks for the entire season, Aaron Hicks. Mm-hmm. And so Reynolds actually fits in pretty decently as a replacement there. He's not quite the defender that Hicks is, and he doesn't quite have the power, but he's a switch hitter. He's having a nice little rebound this season. Um, his rookie year, he really hit the cover off the ball, but it was pretty Babbitt-driven. And then in 2020, he really fell off a cliff. But he's kind of coming back this year. And so we could even continue to see his value climb a little bit more over the next couple months and make mm-hmm. this deal even closer. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there's that. I, I like I like the Reynolds acquisition for them. I will admit to not knowing enough specifically about Alcantara or Volpe to say if those are guys that the Yankees are holding close to their chest and wouldn't move on from. Um, but just as a as someone who who isn't as familiar with the Yankees system as I probably should be, um, this this seems like a pretty solid deal to me. Yeah, it does resemble the Tyone deal quite a bit. Um, you know, you're basically picking from that middle tier, as you said, um, of the Yankees, and they've got a lot there to choose from. So they're probably not trading Jason Dominguez, nor not that he would fit in this deal. But 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 they do seem to be willing to trade from that that middle tier and, and below. Mm-hmm. So so it would make some sense, especially now when they're hurting for outfielders. We they know Hicks is out for the season, as you mentioned. So they're it, they gotta make a move. Because you know, this isn't like the Mets where they just need a warm body until the, the other guys come back. So in the Yankees case, you know, Hicks is not coming back. You know, Frazier's been disappointing. Gardner's what, thirty seven, um, Stanton's always on the AL. I mean like they they need something a little bit more established and they are the Yankees. So they would want to go for a guy like Reynolds who can hit and has a little bit more to offer than a Cameron Maven. So I like this from the Yankees point of view. I like this from the Pirates point of view also because they're targeting young guys. Obviously they're rebuilding. So the more prospects they get, they get a little bit of quality, a little bit of quantity. Yeah. I I can't, I can't say anything wrong about this trade. I think it makes sense. I will (laughs) read you the prospects TLDR on Kevin Alcantara from Eric Loggenhagen at Fangraphs. And tell me if this doesn't perfectly fit exactly the type of player the Pirates have been acquiring the last year or so. So this is Kevin Alcantara. Mm -hmm. Quote, long, lanky, and loaded with tools and projection. Alcantara has massive potential, but still has plenty to prove. There you go. It's like the other (laughs) guys they got in their other trades, like Hudson Head, and, you know, the Pirates are loading up on guys like that. Yeah, and you got Alcantara, who's about to turn 19, Volpe, who just turned 20, yeah. so they're, they're still going to be a couple years off, which is kind of fitting the Pirates' timeline there. And then Waldachuk, I knew I had heard his name recently, and I couldn't remember why, and I think it's because he's one of those mid-round college guys that everyone's like, oh, he's kind of interesting, but like, a little old, might move, doesn't have the big breakout stuff or anything like that. 
Um, and he's been just striking everybody out in the minor leagues, apparently. So, <laughs> so he's very good as far a little as, bit. Yeah. Yeah. As far <clears throat> as throw-ins go, you could do a lot worse than yeah. one Ken Waldachuk. <laughs> yeah, that's like a cherry on top. So. Yeah. Yeah. It looks like uh, last year, or excuse me, 2019, he had 49 strikeouts in 29 and a third. And in 2021, 29 strikeouts in 14 and a third. And as a starter, I thought he was a reliever, but as a starter, so... Yeah, maybe that's a bit too sweet of a sweetener there. Maybe once we <laughs> once we get a little closer to the deadline, we can come to uh, a better agreement on a on a more realistic name right there. But uh, the framework, I like it a lot. I like Reynolds as a trade candidate a lot. I think the Pirates should probably be selling high on him just in case he's got another 2020 season around the corner where the BABIP just falls out from under him and he doesn't have enough underlying skills to support the production. Um, and they're just a team that should be getting everything they can out of their guys at this point. And it, if the this last offseason was any indication, it seems like they're going to. Mm-hmm. All right, so thank you again to user MRJ23. And as always, if you want to hear your trade featured, just go ahead and submit it through the site. If everyone likes it enough, we'll talk about it. So now we got... We got plenty of time here, actually. <laughs> I'm, I'm a little proud of us for how we're moving yeah. through this episode. Would you like to start with your Scherzer article or yeah. with this MLB.com article? <clears throat> uh, let's do Scherzer first. All right. All right. So I recently wrote an article called The Trickiness of Max Scherzer's Trade Value. And the key word there is trickiness because there's a lot of complications. So we're already starting to see some rumors like, oh, is Max Scherzer going to be available? Obviously, he's a rental. He's in the last season of his contract. The Nationals... Who knows how you know how the NLEs is going to shape up? It seems like everybody's hurting, so no one really is taking charge of it yet. So the Nationals technically still have a shot, but it's not looking great. Skeptics will say, "Yeah, well, they were 19 and 31 after 15 games," and they wonder, "Okay, so fine, so it's still too early." But let's say it plays out where they're still not doing well, and you know, at a certain point, it might make sense for Scherzer to become available. Obviously, a lot of contending teams will be interested in Scherzer as a trade candidate to really get them over the hump. So how are we valuing him? Uh, now on our site, <clears throat> we have a default that I will explain in a moment, but I just wanted to talk about how complicated this one is uh, for multiple reasons. First, the good news is, you know, if you're a contending team, you'd be trading for Scherzer with the eye of not just having helping you in the stretch run in August and September, but also in October. And that's what we call the October bonus because the team doesn't have to pay for the service time in October. It's coming out of the league money. It's all the TV money that they get when they're in the playoffs. So that's basically a free month. So you get three months for the price of two. That's good. That's going to drive his price up a little bit more. Secondly, if he's moving from a losing team where the wins don't mean much to a winning team where they do, they matter a lot. The marginal win value, as we call it, is also going to sort of increase his value. So in other words, his his performance means more on a contending team than it does on a losing team. So those two are the good news. The bad news is he can veto any trade because he has 10-5 rights, which is basically the same as a no trade clause. So he can pick his spot. So that's going to complicate things for GM Mike Rizzo of the Nationals because he might get a good offer from a team. I use the Blue Jays as an example, and they and maybe he doesn't want to go to the Blue Jays. And so that would totally nix it. So the... The Nationals, even if they did have a good package, he may not want to take that particular package for his own personal reasons. Um, now, obviously, he's a competitive guy and he'd want to go to a contender, but it depends on which contender. He may have his own reasons. Who knows? So that's going to be a sticking point. But the biggest sticking point is the contract. The Nationals have, at this point, become famous for backloading 
and using a lot of deferments to pay their guys. They did it with Strasbourg. They did it with Scherzer. They did a couple other guys. So, <clears throat> but Scherzer's is really complicated, and I'm not going to go into all the math. But basically, there's a ton of back pay that he's owed for previous years, and his current salary is being deferred uh, between 2022 and 2028. His signing bonus was deferred, and who knows if that's going to be a factor or not. There's all this money basically that he's owed for the next seven years or so, and it's a question of like how much of that is going to be relevant. If you look at sort of a comp, the Zach Greinke trade from two years ago is sort of an interesting one, I thought. Uh, he was in a similar position when he was with the Diamondbacks. He was still owed a lot of back pay. But when they agreed to the deal with Houston, they only focused on the the pay that hadn't been earned yet. So if he'd already earned it in the past and he was owed it, Arizona was covering that. But if he hadn't earned it yet, then Houston was covering that. Arizona did still kick in a few more bucks to make that uh, palatable so they could get some prospects back. Long story short, it's extremely complicated, mostly because of the contract. So then there's sort of four options here. Option one is, and I think this is the one that they should take, which is if he's going to trade him, just eat all the money. No one likes financial headaches. An acquiring team doesn't want all the deferrals and all the other stuff. Just pay for it all if you're Washington, and you'll get a lot of prospects back if that's the case, because it's entirely field value that you get back. And the Nats have a terrible farm system, so that would really give it a shot in the arm. If you prioritize that, just don't worry about the money. That's going to be your best return. That's going to be a very nice one. Option two is, okay, we'll eat uh, the September bonus payment. Because if you factor in, like, that was a bonus that was, like, from years ago when he hit the sinus bonus, it was just deferred. You don't include that, but you assume that the team that acquires him is going to take the remainder of his 2021 salary deferred one. That's what we have as a default on the site, if that makes sense. It's basically the same concept as Granky. He hasn't earned it yet. The team that acquires him will be on the hook for that. That would be a little bit of a lesser return, but it would sort of split the difference. You know, you still get something good. Option three is you, the acquiring team pays that and that rest, that the rest of that signing bonus. It's just going to weaken the return even more. I don't see that happening. Option four is the acquiring team pays everything that he's owed i don't see that happening at all because that would be unprecedented but if the nats really wanted to clear their books and get off all of that commitment off of their backs yeah i don't think i don't think anybody would take that but they could and they obviously would have to kick in either money or prospect just to even it out because it's so much there's so much deferrals hopefully i've made my point it's extremely complicated it may not even happen for all of these reasons between the the you know scherzer can veto any trade and all these money complications if it does, it's probably going to be simple, somewhere between option one, where the Nats eat all the money, and option two, which is, you know, they eat some of the money. So we'll see. It's going to be very interesting if it happens. <laughs> yeah, I, I think you explained that very well, and all of the factors there that just make it hard. I, I mean, I, I think I've come around this last offseason, especially on deals like this. I used to be, like, I was really blindsided. By, I think everyone was, but I was really blindsided by the Troy Tulowitzki trade a couple years back. <clears throat> I the the Blue Jays sent Tulowitz or excuse me the Rockies sent Tulowitzki to the Blue Jays and he was on this big contract and they took this big contract back and Jose Reyes and there were a couple decent prospects at the time who none of whom really panned out, um, included in that deal. And that one, like, around that time there was a lot of speculation about Troy Tulowitzki, but and, and that was in before before we started our work here for the site. Um, 
there was a lot of speculation about Tulowitzki, but I always had in the back of my mind, like, that contract is just too tough to move. The contract, the injuries, all of it is just going to be too tough for the Rockies to find a home for. And they did. And then I was shocked again when the Marlins moved Giancarlo Stanton. I mean, obviously there was a lot of interest there, but again, there's just the big contract, so many considerations there. And then that's kind of happened every year or so since then, where I've been really surprised by one of those big money trades. You, you mentioned Zach Greinke, uh, you Darvish last offseason, Nolan Arenado last offseason. But every time I'd be getting a little less and less surprised. And so I'm starting to think that, you know, as complicated as these deals are, and they don't happen all the time, if, if the player is good enough and the team wants him enough, they're going to make it work. And I think Max Scherzer is the type where he is more than good enough and more than enough teams are going to want him enough to make it work. Mm -hmm. So as of now, barring some insane hot streak from the Nationals, as of now, my prediction is Scherzer does get traded. And I'd say it's probably most likely that um, the team's only paying what is owed to him in 2021, if not... Um, slightly less than that with the Nationals just eating part of it there. Mm-hmm. That just seems the most realistic there. Um, I don't think any team, I don't think we, there's a historical precedent for a team trading for a player and taking all of his deferrals from, from the years that he wasn't even with the team. <clears throat> exactly. Um, and, and I think that would just, that that's the worst of all worlds for everyone involved. That's, that's the Nationals treating Scherzer like purely a salary dump. And that's a team acquiring him and then continuing to have to pay him for the next however many years. Yeah. And so I don't I don't think anybody really wants that. If the Nationals are trading him, they want a prospect back, both to aid their upcoming rebuild, retool, whatever, as well as to for kind of the PR hit there. You can't just trade Max Scherzer for literally nothing. Yeah. Um so I think there's gonna be some middle ground there where they eat some of the contract maybe, but regardless, they're not gonna be leaving the team on the hook for any salary beyond just what he would be making in 2021 and maybe the attached like deferment there. But um, all that's to say when you, uh, when people first started talking about Max Scherzer uh, this, this season and his potential him potentially being traded, my initial thought was no way that that's, there's too much going on with the numbers and Scherzer's too big of a name and he's got the 10, five rights and it's the nationals and blah, 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 blah. But the more I think about it, the more I kind of reflect on how I was blindsided by all of those big trades historically the last few years. It it seems like this, as complicated as it might be, might be one of the easiest ones for teams to to come around on because he's only it's only a one year deal. He's going to be a rental. You don't have to worry about what. 43 year old Max Scherzer is going to look like and how much money you're paying him because you're not. Right. You're just getting him for now. And that that was one of the big holdups, I think, with Nolan Arenado, with Zach Greinke even, with Giancarlo Stanton, was you're just acquiring so many years and you don't know what the guy's going to look like at the end of that deal. But Scherzer, it's a very immediate move. You don't have to worry about the long-term implications there. Um, so I could, I could really see something happening here. Yeah, and if you just look at it from a baseball point of view and forget about the contract issues, 
you know, you could see it happening. Like, oh my God, we could use an ace for the stretch run. And imagine he's starting game one of the playoffs for us each time. You know, like you could easily see it. Like so many teams would want, they'd be salivating over that with Scherzer and experience and everything like that. And there's precedent for that. You know, go back to John Lester in 2014, where the A's are trying to go all in. They just needed a guy like that to carry him. You know, just get on his back. You, you know, there's you can go back. You know, a lot of years like there has been precedent for an ace rental. You know, and and always there will be demand for it. So I liked your first point, which is yes, you know, a lot of teams will be interested in that. And as I mentioned, it'll probably be somewhere between option one and two, where the Nats eat the money, or the acquiring team takes some. You know, they eat some of it, and the acquiring team takes whatever's left for this year. I can see that happening, and I can see the the baseball reasons will be strong enough to to do so. And a lot of teams will be able to. Like that that that's the other point that I maybe I was kind of dancing around but didn't. Uh specifically say was that with things like the Stanton deal, just the nature of the contract and you know, okay, Miami isn't going to eat this whole thing. They're not going to eat three quarters of this thing. They're probably not even going to eat half of this thing. Um, and just knowing that that takes out the Rays, that takes yeah. out the A's, that takes out the Pirates, that takes out all these lower budget teams that could never afford a $30 million a year type player on their roster for the next 10 years. Whereas Scherzer, even those teams can afford to splurge on a guy like him if it's just a one-season thing. I, I think back to a few few years ago, Bryce Harper. Um, there was that kind of very different situation, obviously, because Harper wasn't uh, making the deferments, and the Nationals, the Nationals were kind of in this gray area where they couldn't decide if they were going to push for the last couple months or not. And I think they held Harper through the trade deadline, and then it was the waiver deadline where there was some buzz about him. And the mm-hmm. Astros were interested, but so were the A's, reportedly. Mm-hmm. And he wasn't on a cheap contract or anything. He was in his last year. I don't remember if it was his last year of arbitration or if yeah. it was one of those two-year deals that he had signed to cover the last two years of arbitration. But either way, he was making a lot of money. And so even a month, month and a half, two months of that money is still a lot of money. And even the A's were involved in that. So that just kind of shows, again, like we were saying a little bit earlier, there's no such, bad, there's no such thing as a bad one-year deal. And any team can make almost any salary work for a year or for a couple months of a year and so his his market's going to be just any team that thinks they can contend and the alternatives to scherzer on the market for those teams that need a frontline starter and think they're contending there aren't many out there there aren't many names out there that that are definitely available or look like they will be available in a month month and a half i mean you maybe look over at the Twins and say, oh, if Kenta Maeda, when he gets healthy, maybe they can chop him around. Maybe they'd chop Barrios. Mm-hmm. But there aren't, there just aren't, there's nobody on Scherzer's level because, frankly, there aren't many pitchers on Scherzer's level in general. Uh, but yeah. there's nowhere really, no one really near his level that's clearly looking like they're going to be available and kind of another option on the market there. Um, yeah. There's always a couple surprises <laughs> every year where, oh, we didn't expect that guy to get traded. That's interesting. But... Yeah. As so, of now, the Nationals could really control that market. Yeah, and and to that point, I mean, they know that they know they they're holding the golden goose there. They're like, oh my gosh, everybody, would, you know, so they can they can just hold that out for the highest bidder and maybe talk to Scherzer to say, hey, would you agree to this? You know, um, mm-hmm. but but I just want to make one last point though. You know, if it is in fact the kind of option two, as I call it, where the acquiring team is taking taking on the remainder of his salary. That does mean they're taking on a bit of a headache because they got to pay the deferment. The contract already says he's getting, you know, the prorated part of twenty-seven million is paid out over but about over six years. You know, like, do you really want that headache? I don't know. So they got to work that out. 
uh, it's still going to be complicated. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and then on that 10-5 note, I don't remember if you mentioned uh, this on the podcast. I know it's here in the article. But just that Scherzer and Rizzo might not line up yeah, right. on his destination there. And right. that could <laughs> that can make things really messy. But I don't think that'll be a massive problem. Maybe it means the Nationals don't get the biggest package. But I don't think it's it's going to be to the point where, oh, they're getting pennies on the dollar because Scherzer doesn't want to go to any of these places. He'll only go to this one team. I think if the Nationals are really out of it, like you mentioned in the article, he's a really competitive guy. If the Nationals are really out of it, he's going to be happy to just go somewhere. And maybe there are specific teams. Maybe he doesn't want to go for the A's because they play in the Coliseum. Maybe he doesn't want to go to the Blue Jays because they're going to be, be in a minor league, <laughs> yeah. minor league park or a spring training park or... Even if they are in Canada, they're in Canada, and he doesn't necessarily want to deal with the whole visa process and all that. Right. Um, so so maybe teams like that are off the table, maybe the Rays, but there's still going to be six, seven, eight, nine, ten teams that are very seriously involved and are fairly attractive um, landing spots for him. So. Yes, I can easily uh, I, imagine AJ Preller pulling the trigger on this one. Like, right, get us over the hump. <laughs> right, that God, <laughs> insane. Yep. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, there's gonna be landing spots for him. There's gonna be a bidding war for him. So maybe he yeah. doesn't get the absolute peak of what he could have gotten if not for the ten five rights. But he's still gonna bring back a ton in a trade, depending yeah. on, as you were describing, depending on how the financials work out. Right. All right, so I think we got one last thing this episode as we come up on the one-hour mark. That's interesting. Uh, so so I got a notification this morning from the MLB at Bat app <clears throat> about an article about uh, the headline of this article is Let's Make a Deal, Five Not-So-Crazy Trade Fits. And so we like to run through these kind of articles and uh, just kind of kind of judge them. <laughs> just, just see what ideas these uh, these writers came up with, writers who are typically very in tune to baseball, but not necessarily in tune to trade values, don't necessarily understand um, what makes a player valuable, and they just kind of go, oh, here, let's take these three top, top prospects from this team to get this aging star on a one-year deal because he's an aging star, and, and we know his name, and yeah. <laughs> so we get a lot of that in these kind of articles. So this article I had the idea of let's just run through it blind. And right now I'm kind of skimming through it. And this isn't quite like some of the other articles that we've done this with. Um, they don't necessarily, they, they named five somewhat under the radar, eh, not even that under the radar, but five somewhat under the radar trade fits of a player going to a team. And they didn't necessarily go into too much detail on the return. So I don't know how much we'll be able to really <coughs> clown on these guys, <laughs> but I figure let's at least run through it. And uh, the first one, as far as transitions go, is pretty solid. It's Max Scherzer to the Blue Jays. <laughs> so, huh. uh, so this the is from Andrew, Andrew Simon. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, just, just fit alone, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, Toronto has had some issues in their rotation. Um, the offense is there. Right now they're uh, pretty solidly behind. Are they in fourth place right now? I think they are. Yeah, they've been they've been struggling a little bit uh, this season. They've had some injuries. The the rotation's been kind of messy. The bullpen's been kind of messy. Uh, but Scherzer really locks them up. Really makes them look a lot better. And and there's a bit of precedent there. They did trade for David Price in a, a bit of a similar role a few years back. And so I, I could see it. 
but I could also see if, if there's any other teams on the table, I could see Scherzer preferring to go elsewhere, <laughs> to not go to Dunedin or Buffalo or even Toronto, and to stay somewhere a little bit more attractive uh, just from a location standpoint. <clears throat> yeah, I haven't seen the article. Did they speculate on the return? Uh, not on this one. They did not. Okay. No, they did not. <clears throat> okay. Uh, the next one here, uh, which has also been heavily speculated, but I think I have a bit more of an issue with, is Trevor Story to the Reds. And so they say, imagine this lineup, and they give the list of the Reds lineup and how it would look with Trevor Story, and it's a pretty good looking lineup, yeah. Um, but the issue here with Story to the Reds is, well, first of all, the Reds have had all these, seemingly, have had all these opportunities to upgrade shortstop, and they still haven't. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't mean that they won't, but it leads you to wonder kind of why they haven't. So they, they could have traded for Willie Adamas. They, they were interested in him in the offseason, and he obviously did just get traded uh, last week. Why didn't they trade for Willie Adamas? Well, maybe the Rays didn't like the guys the Reds had on the table as much as they specifically liked Fire Ice and, and Rasmussen. Or maybe there's something else there. Maybe the Reds are hanging on too tightly to some of their prospects. Um, you, you saw in the offseason, the Reds didn't sign Angelton Simmons or Didi Gregorius or any of these other names. Well, maybe they just didn't like those guys as much as, as they went for, or maybe they're a little tight on money. And, and so there's just so many of these question marks of why haven't they done anything really at shortstop other than real bargain bin type stuff. And so it just makes me doubt that they'd both give up the prospects and pay the money for a guy like Story for a couple months. And especially when it's not necessarily that he's the one piece that puts them over. They're still a pretty flawed team and I still like them a lot. I still, I don't know if I have them as the favorite in that division, but I still do like them a lot. Um, but I, I don't know. I don't know if you push all your chips in for Trevor story, both financially and prospect wise, just to get steamrolled by the Dodgers in the first or second round. <laughs> yeah. I mean, unless they catch fire if Luis Castillo can figure out his problems and you know, they've got some offense, but they still got some pitching issues. Um, not much of a bullpen behind DJ Antone. Um, so they need, they have more holes to fill than just shortstop. Mm-hmm. Suarez has not been good this year. Um, so Senzel, as we mentioned, is hurt. So, yeah, yeah, it's hard to see. Like, I mean, I think the point you're making is like he's he's sort of the he's he's the guy that puts you over the top, right? If yeah. you have like that one more piece, they need like six pieces. You know, like mm-hmm. it's not going to matter that much. And and yeah. they probably can't afford his salary because they had revenue issues and so on. So it seems like there's a challenge there. And, and it's almost the identical argument because I've also seen a lot of speculation of story to the Oakland A's. Mm-hmm. And it's really the same argument there where the A's have a lot of holes right now. Um, their bullpen, half of it is pretty rough. <laughs> their lineup, the bottom third of it is pretty rough. The rotation, it's, it's getting by, but there's some injuries there. They could maybe use another arm there too. And so they historically, the A's especially, have been the type of team that instead of going for, well, I say historically, I mean the last handful of seasons. Uh, rather than going for the big fish like they maybe used to when they traded for Samarja and Lester, um, they're they're more content to kind of pick up some cheaper pieces here and there and make multiple upgrades on their roster. I'm thinking of when they acquired Tanner Roark and Homer Bailey and mm-hmm. uh, there Mike was a that year. Yeah, <laughs> oh. Miner. Um, um, yeah, Juris Familia a couple years ago. Yes, yeah. So that that's kind of been more their mo is mm-hmm. grab a few of the cheaper rentals that aren't superstars, but they're going to be upgrades over our guys. 
use our limited assets that way. And the A's especially, their farm system's terrible. They're out of money. So Yeah, right. Not much to just, play with. Yeah. Story's just a really tough fit for them, um, in my opinion. And I think they're honestly better off going and getting Jose Iglesias from the Angels. And then also, like, like what I could see for them is a package of Jose Iglesias and Tony Watson and Steve Ciszek from the Angels in exchange for mm. some middling prospect there because those guys are all pretty low. And something like that, they get a shortstop, they revamp their bullpen. Obviously, that's going to depend on where the Angels are in a month and a half, two months. Um, right. And there's and, a precedent for that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, last just year last they, season, they, they traded for yeah, Tommy LaStella from the Angels. Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, and, and, you know, by the way, you were making the point about everybody changing trades with everybody and a's and the angels are rivals but if mm-hmm. one's going one direction the other one's going the other direction it's not really an issue you know like okay it, it, by the time the trade deadline comes around if the angels are totally out of it you know and in fact it helps them longer term because mm-hmm. they're taking a prospect away from oakland you know and they're they're it's not like losing rentals. anything yeah, yeah exactly <clears throat> so, they're, so they're they're every reason that, to do that yeah yeah the rentals that don't hurt the angels playoff chances at all because they're already out of it in 2021 what what does it matter if they lose two extra games because tony watson and Jose right. iglesias beat them in a game in september like who cares yeah, exactly uh, those guys are both going to be gone after the season and down the line when the angels think they're going to be good again and they'll, they'll and they'll get a prospect back that may help them down the line so yeah yeah exactly makes sense. um so all that <laughs> roundabout way to say I think the A's and Reds are in a similar spot as far as shortstop and some of their upgrades go where it just when you look at it when you kind of glance at it they do seem like two very attractive spots for Trevor Story uh, but realistically it might be more in their interests to make uh, a handful of smaller acquisitions to really short shore up the back of the roster before they focus on upgrading the top of it yeah but then it makes you wonder like where would Story go you know, because like who else needs a shortstop and the Brewers already covered theirs, um, you know, like, you know, Yankees. I mean, there's been a lot, but they have been adamant about trying to stay under the luxury tax. So like in salary. So then the only way to make that happen is if, if Colorado ate a whole bunch of the money, but then they'd want an even bigger prospect return. I'm not sure that might be a bridge too far for, for the Yankees even. So like, where's he going to go? <laughs> I could see it working out a little bit like Machado a few years back yeah. where maybe he gets shifted to third base or even second. I don't think second base is very likely, but I could see a team acquiring him to play third base. thinking maybe the Braves even. He could even, just just some sort of a role yeah. where whether somebody will need him yeah. only or third base only there's going to be a team that needs some help on the left side of the infield whether it's in one of those spots or kind of both of those spots maybe even yeah um, there's going to be a fit somewhere I, I would be shocked if he remained on the team but then again it's the Rockies so who knows yeah okay all right we got three more from this article uh speaking of the A's they are uh, Thomas Harrigan I should say has Nelson Cruz going to the A's I would love that. <laughs> um, I, I don't know how much sense it makes. I mean, the DJ, excuse me, I don't, I don't know where that came from. The A's, <laughs> the A's have, a, they kind of have a platoon going at their DH spot right now. It's not necessarily a strict platoon, uh, but a lot of days they have Mitch Moreland there against righties, and he's been kind of whatever. He hasn't really caught his stride mm-hmm. yet this season. And Steven Piscotti there against lefties, and he's also been kind of whatever, but he's hit lefties okay, and his defense is been pretty suspect he's getting older he had some injuries um that that's a pretty it's not a great dh platoon but 
excuse me, but those are two guys who are on the roster, at least since Piscotty's, uh, in Piscotty's uh, case, he's stuck on the roster kind of by his contract, where I guess they could cut Moreland if they needed to, since he is yeah. just on a one-year deal. Um, but that's pretty locked in there, and so I don't know if Nelson Cruz makes a roster f- sense there, but as far as just the upgrade that he would be to the offense, that's undeniable. Um, I personally expect uh, Nelson Cruz to spend the next few seasons still in Minnesota. It seems like he really likes it with the Twins, and I could see him being the type that just keeps signing those one- or two-year deals with them. And he, he from what he has said, he's almost 41 years old, but from what he said, he wants to keep playing forever. And as long as he's hitting like this, he's going to be playing forever. Um, so I don't yeah. know. I don't know if there's – I think there's a fit – somewhere there depending on what the deal looks like depending on what the a's do with some of their other uh dh options on the roster but it's not the cleanest fit uh there's probably a better home for Cruz, and if not there's a i think there's a real chance that even if the twins are out of it they hang on to him yeah i'm struggling with this one a little bit because um i'm not sure the a's you know i i, I don't know the fit i don't know because they'd have basically have to cut moreland uh, but then again, they're already kind of righty heavy. They have been for a while. So another right-handed bat doesn't really fit their MO. They like to be more balanced between that, the handedness. Um, and then there's the price tag. At this point in the season, uh, Cruz is still owed over $10 million. They can't afford that unless the Twins were to eat some. And get, but then they don't have many prospects. I mean, they could make it work. Um, but it reminds me a little bit when pools was cut and people were thinking, Oh, he's a fit for the ace. Like, how is he a fit for mm-hmm. the ace? There's another 40 year old DH who's like, uh, where are they going to put him? I mean, they... at least Nelson Cruz is good at baseball. Yeah, that's true. That. That's true. He can hit better. Yeah. So, uh, it's been remarkable actually to see that. So, yeah. I mean, I guess the prospect battle capital they could afford. I'm struggling with the fit and with the salary, uh, <laughs> that the ace might have to take on. I mean, yes, they can stretch and make it work. You know, but they'd have to cut somebody, and I'm not sure they'd want to do either of those things. It's a, it's a long could... shot. So, so looking at it here in the values, and maybe this is getting a little bit too much into video game type trades and, and straying a little bit from from reality here. I could see something maybe working out where they send Piscotti to the Twins, in and in exchange, obviously the Twins get a bigger prospect package, whereas mm-hmm. the A's kind of sort out their roster and sort out their money. I'm not sure if that's something the Twins would be remotely interested in and in committing to Piscotty's 2022 salary as mm-hmm. well for a team that's already pretty loaded in the outfield. Mm-hmm. Um, again, not that he's really an outfielder, but... Yeah, I mean, I see where you're going with that. That makes more sense for the Yays, I think, because they clear mm-hmm. a roster spot. And, you know, but they'd have to kick in a probably one or two pro- middling prospects. The, yeah. the Twins already have a really strong farm, though. They'd be like, we don't need any more prospects. We're good. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm not sure. <clears throat> I'm, I'm trying to see if, think if there's any kind of those fringe, like up-and-coming major league pieces that can make sense for the Twins, and I'm not really seeing any. I, I, I don't know if this, uh, as much as I yeah. would love this fit to work, I would love to watch Nelson Cruz crush baseballs for my, my favorite team. Um, <laughs> <laughs> as much as I would love it, I it doesn't make the most sense to me yeah it's a bit of a struggle it wouldn't be the worst idea but it's a long shot i think yeah (laughs) i think these next two are much more realistic and uh this first one especially has been widely speculated in recent weeks i'd say and that's joey gallo to the yankees Mm -hmm. so the yankees as we mentioned before have had some outfield struggles both mainly in terms of health there 
Um, Hicks is out, and Stanton and Judge seem to just be yo-yoing off the injured list. It's hard to keep them both healthy in the lineup for an extended stretch. Um, and they've also struggled to have um, a, a consistent left-handed presence in their lineup. They have a strongly right-handed heavy presence, and that hasn't been the end of the world because their righties are really good. You don't really worry about it when your right-handed hitters are Giancarlo Stanton and Aaron Judge and DJ LeMahieu and Luke Voigt and these guys that just mash everybody. But they could use a lefty bat to balance things, and so Joey Gallo has been speculated as a pretty natural fit there. He's a good defender. He's obviously got light tower power. I mean, <laughs> the short porch at Yankee Stadium, like, what would that do for Joey Gallo? Mm-hmm. Um there are some factors complicating it a little bit. Gallo has been struggling more than usual. <laughs> I don't more than usual isn't the best way to put it. He's been striking out a lot as he usually does, and hasn't really been producing the the power quite yet to uh, to compensate for that. Um, so not his greatest season after having a pretty rough season in 2020. He hasn't fully rebounded yet. Looking it up now, he's got a 114 WRC plus, which isn't bad. Um, especially with the caliber of his defense and and just his track record there. But that's at least worth noting that he hasn't been performing super well this year. And the the price isn't it's not going to be cheap for him. I mean, he's got 2 years of control. Um 6.2 million dollars for his contract this year and that'll obviously be prorated down um depending on when he's traded for. That's not the end of the world for the Yankees. We've we've talked about how close to the luxury tax they are, but I believe that 6.2 value is the one that goes against them, right? Uh, that goes against the luxury tax? Um, the full 6.2, or is it just the prorated version? I think it's just the prorated, because it wouldn't be okay. fair. I mean, yeah. they, prorated at this point is going to be about 4.2. So, you know, they could make that work. I know they're, they're, things are very tight with keeping them under that level, but... 4.2 is not terrible, and then once they do reset, he's we estimate that it'll be owed around 9.3 next year, where they can afford that after they reset. So that's they could make that work, and maybe Texas kicks in a couple bucks. So okay. yeah, and I can see the fit there as well, um, because the Yankees love they they seem to be tantalized by left-handed hitters with that with that short yeah. porch. That's why they got Odor, right? Because they thought, and that's oh, why he they could hit a so, few out. <laughs> they were so big on Kyle Schwarber for so many right. years in a row. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so that I think will interest them. But the downside is um, he's another TTO guy. Obviously, he strikes his own. Mm-hmm. Their lineup God, is they all would about hate that. him in New York. They it's would all hate him. <laughs> yeah, but, but the whole I mean, all the I, mean, I live in the New York area. The, all the fans are like, "Oh, can't we please get a contact hitter?" It's all we have is DJ LeMahieu and nobody else. They're all striking out. Like, there's another guy who strikes out. Like, really, <laughs> strikes <laughs> out got... more than any of the rest of them. <laughs> Exactly. At least he's got the name for it. Like you can see yeah. him at a pizza place, right? Joey Gallo. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> well, just uh, just glancing at Joey Gallo's page here on the site. Um, so on on each player page, we have their value and everything, and then we have uh, four recent trades involving them. So three of the four Joey Gallo recent trades are with the Yankees, and they were all submitted by different users today. <laughs> so that just shows you kind of the buzz that's going on here. Yeah, um, maybe just, maybe they saw that article, that's why. <laughs> possible. Yeah. Um, I, I don't mind any of these, though. They, they're, some of them make some sense. Uh, so one of them is Joey Gallo for Clint Frazier at 6.3 and Michael King at 4.5. And yeah. so, oh, excuse me, Joey Gallo's at 13.4. So that's a little bit light for the Rangers, probably. Um, I don't hate the <laughs> idea of Clint Frazier being in the deal. 
Um, I think he's the type that the Rangers might bet on. Um, maybe doesn't fit their timeline perfectly, so maybe that's a bit of a holdup. But he, he feels like the type that would go to Texas and hit pretty well. Mm-hmm. Um, similar offer here from a different user, Joey Gallo for Clint Frazier, Esteban Florial at 6.3, and Albert Abreu at 1.2. That maybe is a bit of a better one where they get the MLB-ready guy and Frazier, sort of MLB-ready and Albert Abreu, like relief potential starter, mm-hmm. multi-inning guy. Um, and then Esteban Florial is kind of a lottery ticket where he's showing the upside, but he's shown some real struggles too, and so who knows. Mm-hmm. And then this last one is really interesting, um, where it's Gallo and Kyle Gibson, who's been really good this year, um, have him at $5.2 million in trade value in exchange for Albert Abreu. Everson Pereira, outfielder at $3 million, and the centerpiece there, Oswald Peraza at 15.9, and that could be more of the traditional centerpiece type that the Rangers might be targeting in this kind of deal. Yeah. Um, so I, I do see the framework there. <clears throat> I, I do think there's something there that could work, and it wouldn't surprise me too much if it happened. Except, you know, the Yankees would be picking up Gibson, Gibson's salary as well, and there again, that right. tax issue yeah. comes, comes into play. So the, the cash would have to be involved somehow instead. So, But, uh, you know, I do like the framework for just from a baseball point of view. It makes perfect sense, um, with, at least mm-hmm. with Gibson, who's having a bit of a rebound year. Um, but, yeah, I... I'm on the fence a little bit with, although there's more boxes that are checked for Gallo. The one thing that's really I'm struggling with is that TTO issue, because it's just like yet another one, and then another strikeout guy. <clears throat> and I, 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 I'm sure that's a concern of theirs. Yeah, and I think, I think there maybe is a leg- legitimate concern there beyond just oh our fans are getting sick of the strikeouts. I think there is a legitimate concern there of having too many of those type of guys exactly. um, when you get to October and when everyone's yeah. throwing 100 <laughs> and everyone is striking everyone out. You need to score runs somehow and maybe, and I know that's the way the game is trending, and in today's game it is easier to score a run on a solo homer than it is to string three singles together. That's kind of it's kind of a fact that we're dealing with, just with the way, with how much pitchers have improved, how hard they're throwing. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, that's... It, 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 we're not going to three true outcomes because all the hitters are just selling out for powers because they want to hit home runs. They're doing it because it's more valuable. It's it's easier <laughs> to hit a solo home run than it is to string three hits together. Yeah. But with a lineup that goes like Stanton, Judge, Gallo, Voigt, if Gary Sanchez is Sanchez, still around, yeah, right, <laughs> like right. Glaber Torres, that's just going to be... Sp- a, a rough one. You could see all those guys striking out like in a row. <laughs> yeah, but that's also why Yankee fans are really interested in a guy like Cedric Mullins from the Orioles, who is a high contact, high average hitter. And you can see some. I mean, our site right now has some Cedric Mullins proposals on it uh, to the Yankees. I don't think the Orioles would do that. Um, I think he he's a guy they'd want to keep now that he's having a breakout year. But that's the kind of guy they're looking for. That's what the fan base wants, and I think to some degree that's what the team wants as well. Is like a please give me a 300 hitter and get on base for this guy for Aaron judge to hit a home run. So now Aaron judge is hitting a two run homer instead of a one run, a solo homer. Right. So that's, that's what they need. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. I can, I can see that kind of a fit a lot. I'm, I'm blanking on similar players at the, at the moment <laughs> off the top of my head, but I could see that being the, even maybe the position doesn't fit out there, but an Adam Frazier type where yeah. left just lefty contact bat where they're not going to care as much about the production and they just right. they just want the lefty contact bat. Right. Um All right, last one here in this article. And the more I look at this, the less I'm on board with it. I'll just I'll just get into it. Mitch Hanniger to the Indians. Um 
So this is... The, Cleveland has needed outfield help for years and years and years, and they've continued to do almost nothing about it. Like, they got Framil Reyes, but he's not really an outfielder. They got Eddie Rosario, but he's not really good. <laughs> so they, they've just been kind of filtering out a bunch of these sort of prospects, the Oscar Mercados, the uh, Jordan Luplau is kind of interesting as a platoon bat. Um, they had to line out of shields for a minute. They've been kind of <laughs> filtering out a lot of these types yeah. in their outfield, and they could really use a stable presence. And Mitch Hanniger has become a stable presence. Hanniger is one of the best stories in baseball. He's up there with Trey Mancini, a, mm-hmm. a guy that just everyone is rooting for. Because mm-hmm. he missed so much time, and now he's coming back, and he's <clears throat> performing really, really well. Mm-hmm. And in doing so, he's bumped his value up pretty considerably here. So he's got a 139 WRC plus right now, which would be a career high, <laughs> which is pretty insane considering everything he's dealt with. Um, and, and that's boosted his trade value up to 25.5. Mm-hmm. So he does have one additional year of control remaining, so anybody acquiring him is getting a year and a half of him. Um, and, and when you just talk about it in terms of that, yeah, Cleveland makes sense as a fit. But that's a pretty high price to pay for two years of a guy um, when when Cleveland is pretty obviously their arrows trending down. They still can maybe sneak into the playoffs this year as a wild card team. You, you look at them, you look at their roster, you look at some of the moves they've made in recent years, they don't strike you as a team that's going to pass the White Sox. I mean, entering the season, I had the Twins winning that division and being better than both the White Sox and, the, and Cleveland. Uh, obviously, that hasn't happened at all. But, I mean, the White Sox, the Royals are trending in the right direction. The Tigers are getting there. They're clearly not there yet, but they're a couple years away. And it seems like Cleveland is trending in the other direction. So do they really want to move some of their future assets that they've spent so much time acquiring? And and granted, they do have a pretty deep farm. They could maybe afford a move like this and still and not necessarily mortgage their future too much. Uh, but I just wonder if it's if it's the right move, if it's strategically sound for them in the long term as well, or if they should just kind of keep trying to piece it together with some of these rental types until yeah until the team really does fall out of it and is no longer a contender. Yeah, I think the control issue is the big one. He's got less than two years left. And so I think your point is Cleveland would want to strengthen their outfield with a guy who has more control, um, with a guy like four or five years control at least, um, so that they can kind of match their, you know, the years of control of the other guys so they can at least sort of have, have a more sustained run. Because they don't, we, we mentioned earlier, several teams have too many missing pieces. I think Cleveland is another one. They've got some great starters. They've got now some great relievers. Um, but their offense is just very spotty. You know, in, their outfield is obviously not good. So um, one guy is not necessarily going to make a difference, and I think that's the point you're making. Um, on the other hand, the AL Central is kind of wide open. I mean, the White Sox have got some issues. They lost two of their best guys. Um you know, and Twins are bad. The other teams, and the Royals are not there yet. And they, you know, that losing streak was kind of aggression to their mean where you figured, okay, they're really not. They came out of the gate hot, but then they cooled off dramatically. So they're they're probably a sub-500 team as well. So, I mean, you can see Cleveland with a couple of good moves, getting into the wild card, maybe even winning the division and making like a, a run like the Giants did a few years ago with great pitching, you know? that That's not inconceivable. Um, and, you know, I have to say, there's been a, a lot of debate on our trade boards 
with Indians trades, and a lot of them involve Jose Ramirez because a lot of there's a camp that says, "Oh, the Indians are never going to make it this way. They've just been treading water. So just go ahead and rebuild, will you? So just trade Jose Ramirez and a few other guys, and just start, start over. Just tank." And the Cleveland fans were saying, no, 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 this is a smart front office. We can do this. We just need a couple of pieces. So we're not trading Jose Ramirez. So, like, it's been a heated debate. Um, and this falls right into it. Like, would you get a guy like Hanniger because you think you can do it now, you know, or, or not? It's a big question because they're right on the precipice. You know, which way are they going? I don't know. <clears throat> uh, two points there, actually. I, I hate to keep bringing everything back to the A's. I feel like I do it too much. But they, they are... Right now, this is kind of the spot that I see the A's being in in a year or two, where, yeah, they'll they'll once they f- start to fall off a little bit more, which seems pretty likely, um, they'll be willing to trade guys like Matt Chapman, Matt Olson. Mm-hmm. That's not too much of a question. It's unfortunate, but it's not too much of a question there. But then you're with these, you're stuck with these guys like Jesus Lazardo, Sean Murphy, Ramon Laureano, where they have more team control, but it doesn't fit the window. But they have so much mm-hmm. value, but mm-hmm. you're probably not going to be good during those years. And that's kind of where I see. Shane Bieber and Jose Ramirez with Cleveland, mm-hmm. where there are these two stars with insane value, could bring back an insane return, and their clock is ticking pretty significantly. Mm-hmm. Uh, they got that three. Uh, it's either is it two and a half more years of Ramirez or three? I think and a it's half? two. I think it's two and a half. Yeah. Okay, uh, you got two and a half more years of Ramirez, and so are, are they really going to be that good in those two and a half years? Well. Maybe not, but he's at 86.7. Is any team giving them 86.7 in trade value for Ramirez right now? Also probably not. So it might be one of those cases where they just have to kind of stick with him and burn his value and see if they can make the playoffs for the next year, year and a half or so mm-hmm. before they can pull the trigger when, when other teams are – when he's at a price that's reasonable for other teams. And then you look at Bieber. He's at $224 million. Nobody's trading for that right now. Just not happening. Yeah, that's untradeable. <laughs> so, that is untradeable. That would be an entire farm for some some teams. Yeah, that's untradeable not... in a good way. Yeah, right. Exactly. It's in the stratosphere. But it also means that Cleveland kind of has to burn some of that value. Right. Um, because they they just have to hold on to the guy. Like like it's not necessarily a bad thing. Shane freaking Bieber. You you don't hate holding on to the guy, but. Yeah. It, it it's just a a bit of an oddity with how the values work. Um, the other thing I just wanted to run through here, so. Like I said, we have Hanniger at $25.5 million. Um, we do have another round of updates around the corner right here, and so his value will go down a little bit since he's running out of um, service time. But we have him at 25 and a half. And so just looking at some of the names in that range on Cleveland's, uh, in Cleveland's system, you got Tyler Freeman, who's one of their top infield prospects at 26.6. Tristan McKenzie, who's had some major league success, but he's been very bad this year, and I think he was just demoted. Uh, yeah. So he's at 26.4. His value will likely be going down in our uh, in our next update. Bo Naylor, catching prospect at 20.6. George Valera, outfield prospect at 20.4. And Brian Rocio, infield prospect at 19.3. So those are the guys that are kind of, that would be kind of the traditional headliner mm-hmm. um, in a Hanniger deal. And do you think Cleveland is really excited to move any of those guys for two years of anyone? Like, regardless of how good the player coming back is, I don't know if that... <laughs> I don't know if their timeline is in a way that can justify them moving an asset like that or even two assets in the 13 million range or whatever. I think that's more likely. I think an Aaron Brocco at 10 8 and Espino at 9 6, you know, like in one other piece. Maybe like, push it, it for, for Gabriel yeah. Arias a little higher since they are pretty deep in the middle infield going forward. Uh, that, that Arias, yeah. uh, an acquisition from San Diego. 
Yeah. Uh, yeah, that, they seem to like him a lot, but they've got a lot of middle in, infield prospects between Freeman, Arias, Rocky, Rock. I mean, like, mm-hmm. you know, and a few more younger ones behind that. So um, okay. they could afford to lose one or two of those. Let's say one of them and a pitch and a young pitching prospect and maybe mm-hmm. do it. It's not the end of the world. I could see that. And, and maybe that makes a little more sense for the Seattle, too, since they're pretty deep in outfield prospects, but they mm-hmm. can use some help. Everyone yeah. can use more pitching and they could use some more help in the infield for sure. So. Yeah, Maybe. and also Hanniger. Yeah, and and Hanniger's not that old still. I mean, I mean, mm-hmm. Cleveland's not the kind of, you know, uh, team that's going to extend get a cheap extension at this point. Hanniger's only got a year and a half left, but, but. Um, uh, so never mind. I was going to say, well, maybe they could send Hanniger, but now I've just changed my mind. So never mind. <laughs> yeah, but but um, so they'll only have him a year and a half. But if they really want to take advantage of Bieber's prime and Ramirez's prime, you could say, okay, you know, we could afford it. You've got some prospect mm-hmm. capital that we don't really need. Um, I'm, I've kind of have to actually talk myself into this one. The more I th- yeah, look at it. <laughs> I, I, you're talking me into it too. And just looking at all these names, they do have, like like we talked about, the issue with having a deep farm is you got to protect all these guys. Mm-hmm. So maybe there are a few names here that maybe not this season, but next season, season after that, they would have to protect from the Rule Five draft. And so maybe this is how they kind of start thinning that out a little bit. Of moving that's a couple what they of them for a Hanniger type. Yeah, and that's why Arias was included in the, Ever- the Clevenger deal because San Diego didn't have room for him and he needed mm-hmm. to be protected, and Cleveland did. So uh, they got a bargain there. So, you know, mm-hmm. I could see it, actually. Uh, and to your point, the Mariners could use Minfield help. I mean, they're uh, God knows what they're playing at second base. So um, <laughs> no offense to any Mariners second base, but it's like, uh, have you heard of these guys? Like, yeah. Okay, all right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, so I could see I... it. I think you you we've we've talked ourselves into it. I would say <laughs> that's um, the one. Yeah. Yes. <clears throat> so just to, just to recap, we're not huge on Scherzer to the Blue Jays. We think he'll find a spot he likes better. Story to the Reds, not the greatest fit. Nor is Cruz to the A's. Gallo to the Yankees could work, but there's the three true outcomes concern that kind of hinders that. Mm-hmm. And then Hanniger to the Indians, we we think could happen. So props to Sarah Langs on that last one. She's a very good Twitter follow, and she came up with a pretty good trade idea for this one. There you go. All right. So I think that'll do it for this week. I mean, I, I think uh, we we made pretty good time. You know, we we usually end up about one thirty. We're at one twenty-five right now. So nice. Not bad. We and we covered a whole lot. So. That will do it for this week. Thank you all so much for listening. If you have any comments or questions, feel free to shoot us an email at baseballtradevalues at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at baseballvalues. Also, be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss an episode. As I mentioned, those next round of updates are right around the corner. So next episode, in a couple weeks, we will be breaking those down as well as any news and updates in that span. So until then, stay safe and enjoy the season. Thanks, John. Thanks, Josh.